Coaching as Benevolence, a podcast for people who are curious about using coaching for self-development. I'm Erin with Roots and Wings Grief and Loss Coaching. And I'm LaShawn with Michelle Sage Place Positive Intelligence Coaching. Today we're going to talk about the title of this podcast, which is Coaching as Benevolence. And um, Aaron and I are going to talk about uh, what that means to both of us and, and talk more about how that reflects in our own coaching. Sound about right, Aaron? Yeah. And we might also share a bit about how we came up with the name and, you know, we have to have a name for a podcast. So <laughs> we had to start somewhere and we both found that benevolence was a, a good way to frame um, what coaching is and can do for people. Uh, It's kind of like a kind wisdom that people, when they can self-coach or use self-coaching strategies, uh, it's a way of being kind to oneself. Absolutely. And one of the things that um, I like most about the name of our podcast is that it really encompasses what coaching can be. Uh, I think it's easy to use coaching as yet another way to kind of berate ourselves or (laughs) um, like be better, be better, be better as if we're not good. Um, I think uh, with any kind of self-help tool, um, it can be used for good or it can be abused. And one of the things that I stress in my own coaching is being kind to yourself. I think it's really easy, especially when you're an adult. Um, and even when you're a child or, or a teenager, like I see that with my daughter. To set high standards for yourself is is admirable. It's easy to only look at what's not working. Um, I think, you know, evolutionarily and, and biologically, our brains are, have a tendency to see the outliers, to see what's, what's different, because that was a survival tactic. You know, when we were um, in the savannah, <laughs> you know, and we had to, like, see, you know, what's that strange thing moving in the grass? Could be a tiger, you know, could be a lion, could be something that could get me. <laughs> so I have to be aware of what's different. However, now we aren't in that situation so much. So it's better for us to really make a habit of focusing on the things that are right, things that are working, uh, things that we do well, and to take lightly the things that are not working and we don't do well. What do you think, Erin? Yeah, I like the concept of taking lightly to the things we are not doing well. And I think it really relates to what you said about coaching can often be seen as the self-improvement tool of always focusing on being better. And for me, coaching isn't about being better as much as it's about living the life that you want and living a good life and recognizing that struggle and difficulty is part of that. And one way to 
navigate through uh, one's life is by being able to tend to those difficulties through various strategies, various uh, community support, friends, connections. So I think it is a way to hold lightly those difficulties while also recognizing how we can utilize strategies and, and other supports to help us to move through them and, and carry them forward uh, for the life that we really want. I was just going to say, when you were starting out as a young professional, what was really difficult for you that you felt that you now see looking back coaching could have supported? I would say that as a young professional, I started out in teaching, as I mentioned in episode one. I was really self-critical and coaching could have helped me be a little lighter with myself on, you know, mistakes that I made as a teacher. Um, and also just be more aware of the fact that, you know, people are, um, probably have their own struggles as well, that, that things are not going perfectly for them either. Um, and, and less comparison to other people. I think coaching would have helped me see my strengths and um, develop a habit of really looking at the things that are um, working for me rather than the things that aren't working. I think that would have been really helpful for me when I was starting out. How about you? I would agree because I also started out teaching in the classroom and it was challenging. And I, at the time, if someone would have, would have told me, try coaching or try therapy or try some form of self-help in that modality, I would have not listened to them probably, even though I was at one point even having a panic attack in the middle of the day due to the structures <laughs> of, of uh, American you know, high schools. And I think that I look back and wonder what would have led me to coaching to be able to navigate those circumstances in a kinder way toward myself, in a wiser way. And I, I, I struggle with this because, you know, someone could maybe recommend the practice and, and likely I wouldn't have gone that way. And then it wasn't even during that time that people were really talking about self-compassion or, you know, empathetic leadership. Those things, at least back then, I don't feel like we're being talked about as openly as they are now. And so I want to take a moment to kind of interrogate for those people who have not had opportunities or exposure to self-compassion work or an empathetic leader that helped them when they were struggling uh, or an empathetic leader that helped them when they were thriving. I want to know what would help people understand those concepts more and what would help people utilize those services more? 
So that's where my curiosity is kind of leading me. Uh, so I'd love to hear from you, LaShawn, if you have ideas around those concepts. Um, yeah, no, that is also something that I'm really interested as well. Um, what I think, and you mentioned leadership as well, I think that it's really important when you are starting out in a career or when you are in, um, you know, an industry or you're in corporate or wherever you are, I think it's really important to have leaders who are empathetic, who um, embody those qualities that promote wellness and that promote especially mental wellness because a lot of it is a lot of the stress, a lot of the anxiety, a lot of that is having to do with mental resilience, mental strength. And I think that that's going to be um, something that you can foster in a work environment if your leadership has those qualities. And I think, especially with positive intelligence, when we bring positive intelligence into any institution, we start at the top. And there needs to be a buy-in with the administration. There needs to be a buy-in with the executives before you can even say, hey, you know, let's do this for the employees. Um, because if there's not a buy-in at the top, then it's very difficult for um, the culture to change or for the um, other, you know, other levels in the company to embrace that change. And I think that at least, you know, in American culture, there doesn't seem to be um, a culture of benevolence when it comes to our, our mental wellness. And so I don't know if I've answered your question, but I really do think that it has to start with our leaders. Yeah, and I think good leaders see that. Uh, after the death of my daughter, there was a woman at the organization in which I was working, still kind of more of a young professional, you know, in my late 20s at that point. But she approached me in a way that was very curious and a very kind way of just simply asking if I'd heard of a form of a specific therapy. And the way that she addressed me and held space for me there, you know, as a senior leader in the organization, sticks out to me so much more than some of the other approaches that other leaders used, all well-meaning. And, and I mean, that's another episode in itself is how do work leaders support grievers, right? Because that's a, a grieving in the workplace is a, is a whole other topic here. But I think having people like, like her and, and just using those kind approaches, those are kind of like coaching strategies, right? She didn't come at me with advice. She came at me with a question and really wanted to know, know me. Uh, and I've always been like kind of the overachieving, high performing type in whatever role I've taken on in the workplace. And that's been met with a lot of challenges, especially, you know, what I said earlier about the struggle when I was teaching this kind of level of perfectionism that is just unattainable. And, and it's a pressure I think we put on ourselves, especially when we're starting out in the, the world as young women, that we 
are very self-critical in that way. And I know you said self-critical early on in the podcast. And so when someone can approach uh, a younger professional or even just anyone with that level of just curiosity and really showing up and, and wanting to be beside that person, I think that's another example of coaching as benevolence and positive intelligence and leadership and and coaching as benevolence and leadership as well. Have you had any instances in your life where you really saw coaching work for you that wasn't marketed as coaching, if that makes sense? (laughs) Um, Absolutely. One of the things that I mentioned um, in my introduction um, in episode one was that I had a family friend who I considered my first life coach. And one of the things that she did when she um, interacted with me, she had um, schooling in psychology and she also came from a very um, tumultuous uh, family. Her mother was was really um, abusive to her. So she went through her whole self-help journey. She also took classes. So she knew how to interact with me in a way that was going to empower me. And one of the things she did using coaching techniques, and I don't think that she studied coaching, but um, she'd ask me questions. One of the most important questions that she would ask me is, what are you afraid of? Because that was my, this is a, a way of me seeing, okay, so I'm coming from a place of fear. That was her way of you know, using the didactic method where you ask a question to get the person to find the answer within themselves rather than supplying it to them. So if she had told me, oh, you're just acting out of fear, I probably would have gotten defensive. Instead, she said, what are you afraid of? And then she would follow that with often we don't do things or do things because we're operating out of a fear mode. And then she would kind of explain, but she would always start with questions. So that was one of the coaching techniques that she as a person, an adult in my life, who showed me through example, how to coach, how to be there for someone, how to hold space for someone, and how to be benevolent when interacting with someone who's struggling. So that's one um, non-coaching uh, experience that I had with someone who was using coaching techniques and didn't even know it. And that is coaching as benevolence. And it really goes back to why we came up with the the title coaching as benevolence, because coaching as advice or coaching as therapy or coaching as these other things, that's not what it is. But the, the wisdom that is imparted through the types of tech questioning techniques and the listening techniques in the coaching world is benevolent. Kindness is all about curiosity. And kindness is also about supporting one in all parts of their journey. And that includes being able to ask tough questions that help people unravel their desires and and where they're at and understanding of where they're at to come up with clear coping mechanisms and and skills to move forward or sideways, right? It's not always a linear process. Kindness is not always a straightforward path, just as coaching, right? 
So I'm really excited about the term coaching as benevolence because I think there's so much depth there and us being able to move beyond talking about self-compassion and empathy into this new world of benevolence and kindness. Yeah. Um, no, I totally agree there. Um, I think that it's really important to um, include that in coaching and include that in um, life in general, because if you look at what's happening in the world today, there does this seem, and especially with social media, I think social media really exacerbates this, this kind of narcissistic or even um, kind of pathological need to be better and to like to show um, a perfect perfection. That's one of the things that you said, that, that perfectionism, that toxic perfectionism where you have to be perfect in order to have value. And I think perfectionism and, um, you know, that need to be polished is linked to this premise that you can only have worth if you can, you know, contribute something. And it's what you do that equals worth. And that to me is a malevolent way of looking at uh, humanity. If you're useful, if you can do something, if, if you have something to offer, then you have value. And it's, it's like we're all um, trying to prove on social media and other places. I think it's just really emphasized on social media. Um, like we're like all trying to prove how, how great we are based on what we can contribute rather than understanding that inherently we have value. It's not about what you do and how you do it. It's just by being you, just by being in the world existing, you have value. And I think that comes back to the person that you mentioned who, who spoke to you and, and, and made space for you. People who make space for others are showing through action that they are value, that they matter. And I think that is so important. That's one of the things we do as coaches. We hold space for our clients and we hold space, meaning we give them that time to process, time to talk, time to share without imposing our ideas, our judgment, our advice on them. And I think that's something that um, rarely occurs uh, when you are interacting with coworkers, when you are interacting with acquaintances, you know, people on the street. Because I think we're all very um, involved in, and, and this is this is just I think natural to be absorbed in your own stuff. But then we kind of fail to see that the other person has value, or that we have value because we're not really treating ourselves with value either. So um, yeah, that's another exciting thing about coaching as benevolence is it's bringing back that kindness and putting it at the forefront, which is so needed and so important. Yeah, and I'm so glad you brought up the concept of we are valued and it's not by what we do. And I had a really hard time letting go of my entire worth being wrapped up in my career. So when my daughter passed, 
I was like, oh, I finally made it. I finished my master's degree in this career that I went to school for. And I'm working in a like, large urban environment. And, you know, you just kind of feel like you've made it. And I'm like, oh, I've done all these things so that I can give my daughter a life that was very different than mine, you know, growing up in a very rural setting. And I had that in my head for very long. And, and you know, we, we got pregnant and then she was born and then she passed three and a half months later, almost four months later. And I had to find a way to let go of my identity being so wrapped up in my work. And I struggled with that. I was grieving because I took some time off from my work. I was grieving that just as much as I was grieving the loss of my own daughter at that point. Uh, and so really this coworker who sat me down and, and helped kind of gently guide me to a place of me starting to do more of my own self-help work really was, was such a lifesaver. And I still do struggle sometimes with this career kind of identity aspect. And I know in other cultures, they do a really good job of when you meet someone for the first time, they don't say, well, what do you do for a living, right? They, they want to know who you are. And I really have appreciated after, you know, the 10 plus years since, well, not 10 plus, nine plus years since the death of my daughter, the opportunity to explore that further and recognize that my worth is wrapped up in my way of being in the world, not my career. So it's been a long journey to get there and I still struggle with it, but it's also something that I think a lot of people struggle with because as you said, social media likes to perpetuate these images of, of us that are not fully whole or true. So that makes it a little bit difficult sometimes in the modern world to navigate um, in my own own life. So. I also liked that you ended and talked about holding space for clients and you gave some skills on how to do that. And I'm curious if you have maybe more to speak to how someone could, if they're not a coach, hold space for someone um, going through a difficult time and, 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 or any time, right. Going through a good time as well. Right. Um, I, I think that, I mean, it's, it's very, I think it's related to um, allowing a person to just show up as they are. Uh, one of the things, like an example that I have um, is if someone is upset, we often, and I think this is cultural as well, um, we often say, oh, what can I do to like change that you're upset? Because we're uncomfortable. I think uh, with that, someone being upset, someone being sad, someone grieving. So we want to fix it. And I think that doesn't allow the person to just be, and it doesn't allow us, like the individual ourselves, to be. And one of the things that we can do to hold space, whether a coach or not, is allow people to show up as they are and be okay with it. And, you know, you're here, you're, you're crying, you're angry, you're, you're, you're happy, you're like, 
excited, you're thrilled that such a thing is happening or whatever. And I am here to, you know, let you be. And I'm not going to try to change that unless you would like to change that. So, um, and it's really easy also when someone is upset or when someone is sharing to bring it back to yourself. Like, for example, if someone says, oh, you know, I went to Arizona the other day. Oh, I've been to Arizona. You know, it's better to like maybe say, oh, I went to Arizona the other day. And oh, so how was that? So you want to like keep it in their space, like so that they can talk about their experience going to Arizona. And then later, maybe when they ask, oh, so, you know, I know you've been to Arizona. What do you like about Arizona? Something like that. So that we're not so quick to take turns in terms of, okay, so you speak. Now it's my turn to speak without really listening and without really being present with the person. So I think those are three things that I would say. One, we allow people to be whatever they are, wherever they are. Two, we listen and we're present with them. And three, we let them, you know, we want, we get curious, like you said before, we get curious about their experience, what they're doing. So I think those are three things that you can do to hold space for someone. What do you think, Erin? Yeah, I agree with those three. And I think they are very synonymous with benevolence and kindness, um, curiosity and allowing people to be and listening and being present. Uh, I remember been probably five or so years ago, I had to talk to the city council for the Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Day. And I ended with a question. I was like, when is the last time someone really listened to you? And it was just silence. I think people were sitting there thinking, like, when is the last time someone, and really someone in my life outside of maybe a therapist or a coach, but someone in my own life really listened to me? And it was really hard to come up with answers. So I think that piece of listening and being present as a friend or as a community member or as a colleague is so invaluable. And I've seen it show up in really nice spaces in the workplace. And typically it's people who already have relationships with each other, not necessarily people who um, maybe even want to feel vulnerable with maybe somebody else because they don't have that relationship. So I've been curious about that as well. You know, as a colleague where your other, you don't know this person as well, but you do know uh, you'd like to get to know them or you do know that something's going on you know, you can still show kindness and benevolence by companioning them and, and reaching out just in the ways that you, LaShawn, outlined. I think that's a really good outline for people just to hold in their head the three pieces, allowing people to be listening and being present, and then the curiosity piece. Do you have a moment? As I was thinking about the uh, talk to the city council, I'm like, when is the last time someone really listened to me? I'm like, do you have a moment where someone listened to you recently and it really helped? I'm just trying to think, like, not a coach. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. I, hmm, I haven't really had a moment recently where someone has really listened to me. Um, just can't really think of a time uh when someone has really listened to me 
there have been times when I felt like someone did hear me, like I felt heard, um, either because they knew something or they they um, they said something about you know something that they knew that I liked or something like they knew my birthday or something like that, and um, I oh they were listening, you know they they understood or they they heard what I said when I said, that's my favorite chocolate or whatever, you know? Um, but in recently, I'm just trying to think, I, I haven't, but I do know that when, when someone does, when I do feel heard, it's a great feeling. Um, it, it's, it's a feeling of, of uh, being valued and appreciated when someone shows that they're listening, that they're taking the time to listen. That is a really, um, and I don't think you have to be vulnerable uh, to connect. That is that is a moment of connection when someone takes the time to listen, or they repeat something you said in a way that it, you feel heard. Uh, that's something that I think is a great experience, and I think that's how we can build connections. Because you had mentioned you're curious about that with coworkers or people that you don't really know. I think as long as you are present with the person or they are present with you, there's a connection there. That's where connection happens, where you're both present. You don't have to be vulnerable, just be open to receive. And I think that also requires some vulnerability because anytime you use words like open and reception, you do have to be, um, you do need to let your guard down in order to receive. So. It's interesting when you said that. I kind of feel like the people at the, what was it, the um, city council meeting? Totally silent. Like, well, I don't know the last time someone has listened to me. <laughs> I know that's hard and, and sad in some ways and also hopeful. That wasn't others. a coach and wasn't you. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's an opportunity. And I know listening takes more energy than talking. Uh, I've provided professional development to coaches and trained them at CU on listening. And that is one of the things is recognizing that when we listen, right, it's, it's everything that's, that's going on and our physiological responses and being very mindful with those and be able to respond in a way that shows care. And so one way to do that too, might be just say, re summarizing what they said to you and, and say, you know, tell me more about that. Going back to your point, LaShawn, not turning the conversation on ourselves, which is sometimes a way for people to bond like, oh, you've done that. I've done that. And, and there are spaces for that in conversation, right? But, but what we're talking about is, is how do you accompany someone through maybe a difficult situation or even like I, I keep going back to like even these positive situations because sometimes that accompaniment might even need to happen a little bit more, right? When someone uh, maybe just for, just received an award or just met their running goal or whatever it might be, sometimes being seen in that way in a way that's caring and, and not just about praise and really in a listening way can also be really healthy and healing uh, for the individual. So I think one takeaway when we think of coaching as benevolence, one of the skills is 
showing up as a listener and recognizing that that's going to be a little bit of a challenge because it is a little bit more energy than a talker. So, so that's where I'm at with the listening piece. I don't know. Are there other directions maybe to, to think about benevolence in, in coaching? Well, I like what you said about listening. It is, it does take more energy, I think, than talking. Um, and one of the things that really stuck out for me that you said that made me think about presence. Again, presence comes up. You cannot be aware of all the things that are happening if you are somewhere else in your mind. If you're thinking about what you're going to eat for dinner or if you're thinking about, you know, something else, you cannot really listen. So I think being a listener is a practice in being present. And one of the things that I've found with, you know, the work that I do in positive intelligence, um, we take these breaks, these power breaks throughout the day where you are practicing being present. And one of the ways that you can practice being present is listen. You don't just have to be listening to someone talking. You could be listening to things around you. Um, like, you know, sitting in your office, if you're going to go back to a workplace environment, you know, take the, the moment to listen to all the different or hear all the different um, sounds around you. And it, it puts you in your body. And I think it calms you. I think one of the things that being a listener does, it's a very helpful activity as well, because you're present and in your body when you're a listener. And it also allows you to connect with the other person. So if you value the relationship that you have with that person. So again, listening is a way to practice being present because you cannot listen if you're not present. So I would encourage, um, I would encourage our listeners and ourselves to take time every day to be a listener, whether it's to another person or just sitting out in this beautiful fall weather that we've been having in Colorado <laughs> um, and just, you know, listening to the sounds of nature. It really does bring you into your body, into the present, and it calms and soothes you. Yeah, I like this idea of listening that also soothes you. It's not just the strategy to relate to someone in a more meaningful way, but it also helps the listener. It helps them self-soothe, uh, which the more self-soothing strategies we can gain in our lives, I feel like the the easier sometimes to find them and use them when we need them. Because uh, sometimes when we're in moments of crisis or difficulty, it's really hard to think of a strategy that might work for us to help regulate us. But if we have, you know, our toolbox of, of some of these strategies, it can be much easier to pull from sometimes in those situations. And I think that's what kindness in the world looks like and, and means being kind to yourself and being kind to others. And I'm really excited about the concept of coaching and benevolence going hand in hand and coaching as benevolence because it's a way to be kind to you yourself and to others. This concept I think is is very timely in today's world and I think it can be very easy to become really critical of people, ideas, situations and not have a listening approach to those 
those different things. So shifting from judgment and criticism or critical uh, thinking to more curiosity in the listening space can help us also continue to to bring that kindness in into the world. Definitely. Um, so I think we're towards the end of our time. So do you want to share a coaching nugget with our listeners? Sure. <laughs> so since we're on the theme of kindness, here's a strategy you can use it right now or pull from in, in situations that might be a little bit difficult. But I want you to think of a time where someone was especially kind to you or someone said something especially kind to you. What did they do or what did they say? Now, find a way to say that to yourself as if you're talking to yourself as a close friend or just talking to yourself as you. And then come up with one way to implement that kindness in your life. So let's say one of my favorite things someone told me is that I am a compassionate leader. Actually, I've been told that a few times. <laughs> and so when I'm struggling with myself internally, I can turn that phrase back and say, well, I know I'm a compassionate leader. So what is one thing that will help show that to me? What is one thing that will help me internalize that a bit more when I'm not feeling that way at all? And for me, it's movement. It's often a walk or like doing jumping jacks or something. But movement is something that really helps me internalize that and get back to being a little bit more calm. Uh, another way for me to internalize that kindness piece is sometimes writing something down that's really heavy in my mind and then applying the kindness words to it. So I know I'm a compassionate leader. How do compassionate leaders handle this? And I can write out the problem and how I want to address it um, and then get that out of my mind onto paper. So for me, it's movement, right? Getting things out of my mind, walking and moving my, as you can see, LaShawn can probably see I'm moving my hands everywhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's my coaching nugget of wisdom for, for this week. What about you, LaShawn? What do you have? Um, I'm going to take something very similar to what you said. Um, in terms of someone who has said something kind, I'm going to take it to an action as you were talking about, you know, actions, movement. Uh, so when was there a time when you were really struggling when someone did something that helped you feel better or felt um, loved or supported? And then just like Aaron did, I'd like you to think about how you can do that for yourself. So in, in the case of, um, you know, when something was really upsetting to you, um, maybe someone gave you something like a flower or a hug or, um, you know, a nice warm beverage. And so how can you do that for yourself? Um, and it doesn't have to be when you're upset. Just in the course of your day, what can you do for yourself that shows yourself, that you are kind to yourself, that you care about yourself, that you matter. So it could be taking the time to make yourself your favorite beverage or taking the time to do jumping jacks, like Erin says she likes to do. So you want to <laughs> commit in your day to doing something kind for yourself um, 
just to remind yourself that you matter and that you are a valuable person. So that's one thing that I would uh, put out there. So this week, you know, while you're um, going through your busy days, your busy week, what can you do? One thing you can do every day that shows kindness to yourself. I think I'm going to do that. One kindness thing a day. Yes. (laughs) Yep. It's easy to forget because you get busy and you're like, all this other stuff is happening. What have I done that's kind to myself? (laughs) Thanks for joining us for Coaching as Benevolence. I'm LaShawn with Michelle Sage Place, Positive Intelligence Coaching. And I'm Erin with Roots and Wings, Grief and Loss Coaching. Have a benevolent day.